There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 26. Today in the show, Dan and I are diving into the topic of weather and how it influences whitetail behavior and hunting. It's a timely and important discussion, so settle in and enjoy. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Here with me today is my co-host, Dan Johnson. What's going on, my friend? You know, I'm having a pretty good day. Uh, Monday was better than Sunday, and Sunday was better than my Saturday. So I don't know what that means or if that, what that, yeah, I really just don't know what that means. I'm having a good day. How about that? Yeah, I don't know what any of that means either, but I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> but it's kind of weird because usually I feel like your Mondays and Tuesdays are bad versus your weekends. So right. um, in about two minutes, I'm going to ask you why, because I want to hear about what happened this weekend. And I think that's going to be pretty relevant to what we're going to be talking about today, too. Um, but I'm doing all right, too, over here, over here in Michigan. I've been hunting the last four days, taking today off. And uh, trying to do some work. Got a whole bunch of crazy work projects going on. So, Yeah, before we started recording, it sounds like you have your hands full on a couple things. Yeah, you know, no rest for the weary. But uh, can't complain. Doing mostly things that I'm excited about. So That's good. That's life though, right? Life is uh, it's a lot of work. That is a fact, my friend. And you don't even have a kid yet. So <laughs> wait for your mind to get blown again later on in life. I'm telling you what, it scares the heck out of me. I'll tell you that. I uh, I don't know how it's possible. It should. It should scare you. <laughs> oh, the things to look forward to, right? <laughs> right, right. Oh, geez. Well, let's let's dive into it. Um, the main topic I want us to talk about today is weather and how weather affects hunting and whitetail behavior and all those different things. And so there's a whole slew of topics we can talk about within this. Um, but I think it fits in perfectly because of what happened over the past weekend, which was your first weekend of hunting and my first weekend of hunting in Michigan. And if your beginning of the season was anything like mine, we faced a lot of adverse weather or at least interesting weather conditions that affected, you know, how deer moved and behaved and how we had to hunt. At least I did. So 
maybe before we start talking about the nuts and bolts of weather, let's first talk about our first weekend of hunting. Um, let's hear it for you, Dan. What happened these first couple hunts? I killed the Iowa State record. You did? And then I woke up. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I was pretty pumped Friday after work. I, I took the hour drive south. I got out of work a little bit early, convinced uh, my manager that um, it was an emergency and I had to leave work. And uh, so, which in my eyes it was. Sure, sure. You know, I um, had everything ready in my truck, got to the uh, location where I was going to hunt, you know, threw on my scent free clothes. I uh, threw on my pack and, and the tree stand, and it was my first running gun of the year. Jumped into the timber, got set up, you know, hung the camera arm and the Ozonics and all that stuff up in the tree, and uh, sat down. And it was like this gigantic realization that the season has started, and at the same time, it's just like, oh no, that means it's it's going to go by real fast, you know, just like every other season has ever gone for me. Yeah. So I was in the stand. It was, it was really windy and it was really cold for, uh, you know, early October as most of our listeners know. And, uh, I was loving every minute of it, but, uh, had, a had three does come in after probably about 40 minutes in the stand, uh, plenty of shooting light left. And, uh, and I tried to film, uh, myself shoot one of these three does that came through and it's typically not a problem for most hunters but when you're trying to film yourself that always adds an extra element of you know things something to do or something that could go wrong but I actually had the does too close to me so every time they would move even with the camera fully zoomed back I was having problems getting the deer on camera so I couldn't shoot and they ended up working their self away and you know, I really wasn't too worried about it, about killing right off the bat, because I knew the next morning uh, at the same stand location, they'd be working their way back from uh, uh, from the fields. So I got, uh, I let uh, those deer walk by. I witnessed one of the greatest doe fights I've ever seen in my life. Really? It, I, I watched a doe beat the crap out of another doe. At one point, the other doe was kind of in a fetal position. <laughs> it, 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 it was crazy. It, wow. was pretty, it was pretty cool to see. Huh. Then uh, closer towards dark, uh, three small, small bucks came through. I call them Larry's. Um, they came through, and we, uh, next thing I know, it's getting dark, made my way out of the stand. Next morning, came back to the same stand location, and typically I leave everything in the tree. My bow, um, the only thing I take off out is the camera uh, and my Ozonics battery and put it in the pack, and that way I can charge everything. Right. Come back to the stand. Uh, oh, saw one doe in the distance, and then right at, oh, probably 8 o'clock or quarter to 8, a small buck came through. Um didn't even stand up for him, just kind of watched him work his way through. Then maybe five minutes later, real close to eight, doe came through, and uh, I stood up. Long story short, drew back, and I smoked her. I mean, I was watching. The sun was co- – she was coming from the east, so the sun was coming up. I hit her. She was slightly quartering away. I hit her maybe just a little bit forward. 
and uh, blood. Every, instantly, you could see blood. She ran off with my arrow still in her. It wasn't a pass through. I think I hit opposite side shoulder or a bone or something. And uh, I gave her 30 minutes and I crawled down out of my tree stand and I go uh, look for blood and there's a ton of it. I mean, there's chunks of her lung laying in this blood. And I'm, I, I'm like, okay, this doe's at the bottom of this little gully here. I'm just going to have to drag her up to my truck and that's it. That was not the case. Uh-oh. I followed blood heavy. He- the, this is the most blood I've ever had on a deer I've ever shot. Wow. And I've had some pretty gruesome, like, I don't want to say gruesome, but really good blood trails right. over the years. This one just, it looked like someone was dumping little buckets of, buckets of it. I mean, it was piled there. After 30 minutes, it wasn't even dry yet. I mean, still pools of it. So I followed it for about 70 yards. Then I went back to my truck, dropped off all my stuff, came back, and I don't know if I jumped her or what happened, but I, I followed real good blood for a total of 150 yards, and then it just stopped. And then it just started dripping. And then that's when I had to slow myself down and uh, find these little drips for another 150 yards. And then it, then it stopped. Then it just, it was done. And so I kind of did some kind of, you know, trying, you know, trying to triangulate the position of where the deer was going from the blood trail. And uh, I ended up gritting about 40 acres. Uh, of some grass and some thick like, pines and stuff where she was at, no blood. I and I, I looked for her for probably a total of five hours. Oh man, and I'm sorry to hear about that, Dan. Man, that's the worst. It is. It it really it threw me off because I had a bad experience at the very end of last year mm-hmm. where I shot you know I shot my buck but never found him. Luckily he he made it back. I know this buck this uh, this deer's dead. The amount of blood. And where I hit her, I, you know, I'm pretty sure I got one lung, but the amount of blood, it just, it, I am in shock from that. This deer is not at the, is, is not dead, you know, at the bottom of that hill still. I, I don't understand. It is unbelievable what these deer can live through. I mean, there's so many examples from my own experience. I'm sure from yours and from those that we've heard from others. I mean, the shots that these deer can take and live through is just nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it, it, I don't even know what to say or how to explain it. I mean, I drilled her in the front shoulder quartering away. I mean, it, my, when my arrow hit her, I, I'm pulling back 80 pounds. I'm shooting a full metal jacket and that's a, a heavy arrow. Okay. So I, I have a ton of kinetic energy. I hit her square in the shoulder Went through her shoulder, didn't go all the way through, so I must have hit a bone on the other side. It knocked her to the ground. She had to get back up, then run again. Wow. So I just, I don't know what to say. I'm, and it, I sat there, and I went home after I looked for three hours, and I'm like, do I go hunting again? And everybody I kind of talked to was like, you know, just just go hunting again, just go hunting again. And I'm like, okay, well, then I'll, I'll look for Sunday morning. After I after I hunt Saturday or sun after I get done with my Sunday morning hunt, I was going to go back and look for her, and I went to go shoot my bow, and 
my bow missed at 20 yards, my bow missed my target at like by a foot, a foot and a half. So, so on my way out or while I was checking blood trail, my peep sight, I think got caught on something and it pulled it. And so now my peep sight is loose. And when I draw back, my peep sight was rotating in the string. So I'm like, I can't, I'm not even going to go out because I don't have, I'm not accurate. I need to go to the shop and get it fixed. And, um, so then I, instead of going hunting, I went out for an additional two hours looking for this deer. Wow. So kind of a nightmare scenario. Right. So Murphy's law, you know, anything bad that can happen will happen. Wow. Well, I guess hopefully it's all out of the way. That's what I was going to say. Hopefully this is the worst of it and it's all uphill or downhill or whatever, whatever's better from yeah. here and out. Right. Wow. Right. But I mean, taking a, to touch briefly on what happened in regards to wounding a deer and not finding it. I mean, that is one of the most difficult things for a hunter to go through because I think I'm sure you're just the same as me in this, that, you know, that is the worst thing you could possibly do. And of course it's not on purpose. It's an accident. It's a mistake and mistakes happen, but it feels pretty darn, feels awful to have wounded a deer to have not been able to give it a quick ending. Um, it's, it's, it's the last thing you want to do. And we all prepare vigorously throughout the off season to make sure we can put the best shot possible on a deer. Um, but the reality of life is that things don't always go as planned and things happen differently in the real world. Right. And it's, it's kind of a reality of it. And the interesting thing though, and where I'm kind of going with all this is that these things happen. We never want them to happen. We do everything we possibly can do to make sure they don't happen, but they do. Inevitably, if you hunt long enough, you're going to wound a deer. And what I find very disconcerting is that when people share their stories of wound of this happening, you know, in this case, you talking about the fact that you shot this doe and weren't able to find her, or maybe someone, you know, there's footage of someone hunting, they hit a deer, they're not able to recover him. Of course, they've done everything they possibly could do to prepare to get a good shot in that deer. They've done everything they could do to recover that deer. But as I said, things happen. But there's so many people, especially online today, where you can make comments and say things with no, you know, without saying who you are or without being in front of someone. People are so quick to judge and attack people about this. It's unbelievable. Um, and I, it's, it's gotten to the point that I, I've gotten really frustrated with it because we've had a couple of videos that we've posted where a couple of our different team members have, you know, put shots on a deer and weren't able to recover it. And these are good quality hunters. These are good people who work really hard and, you know, a mistake happened or something happened. Things didn't go right. They did everything they possibly could do to recover that deer. And there are hundreds of people talking about how horrible this person is, how this person should never be hunting, how this person has no idea what they're doing, all these different things. And it's just unbelievable the amount of vitriol out there when it comes to what people can say and, and judge people by um, from the other side of a computer screen. Right. Keep uh, what, oh God, what was, what's the term uh, when somebody's uh a monster behind the keyboard. I don't know what the, the term is, but Troll. They're, yeah, they're, they're, no, they're like, they're, they think they're tough behind the keyboard, but then, you know, they you know the same people who probably judge you for being a poor hunter hunt maybe one day a year yeah. and think they're the, they're the king of it all. Yeah. So there's a couple forums. I'm not going to say the names that I went on one time and asked a simple question I'm looking to get new arrows. What 
what arrows should I get? And the first two comments were, hey, I use this. I really like, I, I use this product. The second comment was, hey, I, I use this one. Um, I've never used the other guys, but I hear both are good. The third one and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth were, those are trash. Those are stupid. Those are horrible. You know, so, more negative. So I, I, I canceled my account and I, I don't do forums anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, we're going off on a huge tangent here, but yeah. I mean, there is just so much negativity and judgment and pure, just like, I don't know, a lot of ignorance too. Yeah, it and doesn't help the cause. It doesn't help the cause. And every one of these people has made a mistake too. And every one of these people, if you hunt long enough, regardless of how good a shot you are or how, regardless of how hard you work, these things happen. And I would just like to, to make a public service announcement here to everyone listening. You know, don't be so fast to judge people. Of course, you know, if there's someone who's going out there recklessly and, and who obviously isn't caring about what they're doing, of course that's something to call out and talk to someone about that because we don't want that. That's not what quality hunters do. That's not what we're all about here. Of course we want to respect the animal, prepare correctly, follow through correctly. Yes, 100%. That is of utmost importance. But when mistakes happen, when things don't go quite as planned, don't be so fast to judge others because, you know, it could happen to you. And... um I guess I'm really going on a rant here, so I should probably bring it to a close. <laughs> You're fired up. I don't know if I should interrupt you and say, hey, hey, Mark, let's talk about weather and whitetails. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. There's just so much trash out there. So that's all I'll say on that front. Um, but <laughs> the whole point of this is that I'm sorry to hear about how things went for you this weekend, Dan. I know that you did everything you possibly could. I know you prepared correctly for this, and this is the reality of hunting. It sometimes does not go the way we want it to. And I know that uh, I know that you'll make it right next time. Right. So. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, should I tell you about my hunting season so far? All the trash that's out there. <laughs> I'm Mark Kenyon. That's all right. You can vent. That's what we're uh, here for. Yeah. You tell me. Tell me. How was your weekend, Mark? It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it, it was okay. <laughs> Good. Um, so I got out hunting since we last chatted. I got out Wednesday night, which is opening night in Michigan, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So I got a few hunts in. Um, I'll give you the quick overview of, of what happened and kind of the the patterns and behavior I've seen so far. Opening night was a relatively warm night, but there was a front coming through the next day. I saw a bunch of does and a couple little bucks. Uh, I was hunting a spot that we talked about, I think, last week. I think it was last week. when we No, two weeks ago, we had talked about early season setups. And I talked about this little, not a little food plot, a little, well, a decent food plot where I hunted and I had an encounter with Leaner on this plot last year. Well, this year I expanded that plot by like 200%. I added a huge section to this area, put in a lot of time and effort to make this an incredible food source and primarily a really great early season food source. It's really close to this bedding area. I thought it'd be dynamite. And um, it, it just, it was sort of for, for does and as you call them, Larry's, but no big bucks. But just as I was leaving, I had my, I had Kylie, my wife there filming me that night and you know, all the deer had cleared out from this area where we were, it looked safe and ready to go. So it's after dark, I quietly opened the door and as I opened the door, I was hunting from a box blind. As I opened the door of the box blind, I hear snort and crashing, running away. So there had been a deer near us that I hadn't seen. Well, since I had spooked a deer out, I knew there was no other deer around. And I had a trail camera about 50 yards away or 60 yards away. So I was like, oh, I might as well go over there and pull that card. So I pulled that card 
checked it that night, and the deer that I'd spooked was actually a, de- a pretty decent buck that was right there. Um, so that was disappointing. Um, I don't think he was a shooter. I think he was just a really nice two-year-old. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm targeting three-and-a-half-year-olds, so a two-and-a-half-year-old I probably wouldn't have shot, but you hate to educate a buck like that that's going to grow into something nice someday. Well, the good thing about that is if you established that, that he wasn't a shooter, then you surely shouldn't care. And then it's one of those bucks where you hope you don't see him again because if he's a teeter-totter buck, those are the bucks that you want to not see during the season. Maybe at 100 yards and, okay, he's still alive. That way it won't wet your whistle as when he walks by and you're, you're tempted to shoot him. Yeah, very true. So that was opening night. A um, couple nights later, I went back out. Friday, I had my buddy Dustin behind the camera. We went back into one of my best areas on this Michigan farm because big cold front had hit. It had been in the 70s the day before, and we were down until like the low 50s by that evening. Um, so I was feeling really good about getting in there, and we had rain. It was just one of those days that I absolutely loved to hunt, and we'll talk more about that. But weather was perfect, in my opinion, for this kind of hunt in the early season moved back to this other area where there's a little tiny sliver of beans that were still green that cut into this big swamp. And then I have a little food plot of oats next to that. And then I'm in a kind of a fence row in between with some thick timber and I can see either side. And then on either side of those two food sources, it's like I'm in a stack on the far North is a big bedding area. A little farther South of that is this food plot. A little farther South from that is my strip of timber where I had my stand. A little farther South of that is this little tiny sliver of beans. And then just South of that is this big swamp. And so my wind was blowing due west. So I can have my wind blowing straight down the middle, and then all the deer coming from north and south coming into the sandwich in where I'm at in the middle. So it's a really sweet setup with a west wind. And those beans, some of them were still green. And so I had deer coming to feed at both food sources on either side of me, but I could get in there easily without getting winded, and I could get in and out without spooking. So it's a great setup. I was really excited. I thought, you know, today and tomorrow – if ever I'm going to get an early season buck this year, I mean, this is the spot and this is when it's going to happen. Well, long story short, same thing as the night before. I saw tons of does, a couple little bucks, no shooters. Decided the next day, um, temperatures dropped another 10 to 15 degrees. So now we're in the low 40s by Saturday night here in Michigan. I mean, dynamite, a little bit of rain. So I decided to push it back in there one more time. I usually don't do that. I, I almost never hunt this farm at all in the early season, maybe one or two hunts. Um, but I decided to go in for one more hunt. Same thing again. Bunch of does, like 25 does, and uh, four bucks that night, but all little ones. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. 
Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. So that's kind of been the story of my whole season. I hunted again the next day on a different farm, saw a bunch of does, hunted again last night um had another still cold a big storm was pushing through several kind of squalls pushed through saw a bunch of does a few small bucks um i did see one last night who was kind of a teeter-totter buck like you said um he and again like i said i'm hunting in michigan here i'm targeting a three and a half year old buck i'm not uh, i i don't have enough big bucks under my belt to say i'm going to only shoot a 150 inch buck here in michigan or something crazy like that you know there, there just aren't a lot of deer like that here um so a mature a relatively mature three and a half year old buck here in michigan uh to a degree regardless of antler size is a shooter for me here um i mean that's a respectable buck in some of these areas that i hunt so that said this deer had a body that really looked like he was at least three and a half years old. I mean, he had a bigger belly. He had like the sagging, swinging patch of skin underneath his neck, which you do you don't see in a two and a half year old. Um, he just didn't have a really big rack on him. It was pretty tight. It was tall. He had nice brow tines and decent tine length on his twos and threes. Um, but I, I he was just one of those deer. I was really I wasn't really sure. I, in the end, I decided I probably would have passed on him just because I you know wasn't hundred definitely wasn't impressed with his rack and wasn't hundred percent sure on the body. Um, so if he had came in to give me a shot, which he never did. So I never had to make the choice. Um, uh, but if he had, I decided, I think I would just wait cause it's still early. Um, but that's one of those deer here in Michigan when you don't have a whole lot of opportunities, a big deer that at least had me thinking about it. So it was kind of fun just to see a buck that was half decent. That got me thinking about it. And, um, that said in general, my larger issue, Dan, is that I had four trail cameras running across my two best Michigan properties. Okay. And I had them running since the end of August. I stayed out of all, I finished up all my work on these farms at the end of August, and I hadn't returned to these farms once for anything until I started hunting, you know, these past couple of days. And as you know, over the course of the summer in Michigan, I did get many shooter bucks on trail camera at all. Like it wasn't until almost August, I think, till I got one. And I only got pictures of one other mature buck um, one other time, I think. So it was a really poor year during the summer for trail camera pictures of shooters here compared to other years I've had. Um, Well, I had four cameras running, like I said, for over a month. I checked them all. I don't have a single three-and-a-half-year-old or older deer on trail camera since in the last 30-plus days. Nothing. Ah. Um, I've never had that happen here in Michigan Um, 
in this in this area before. So I'm uh, it's still early, but I'm more down on my Michigan hunting than I have been in a while. Uh, I would have expected to have at least something with all those cameras out there in some good areas, um, at least nighttime photos. I mean, last year on one of these farms, I had three mature bucks showing up regularly um, over and over and over and over again, even during daylight. And now not a single one anywhere, daytime, nighttime, anything. Um, and these properties are untouched. They are They have a wealth of cover. I've done a lot of habitat work on a couple of these spots. I've got tons of ag fields around them. I've got some great food plots I put in. I mean, I've done a lot of work to make sure this is the kind of place whitetails want to call home. And uh, the big boys just, they may be there. I mean, there's I have to believe there's still a good deer or two in the general area, but they're not on me right now. Well, I'll tell you what, just to, you know, lighten the blow from your trail cameras a little bit. Here's what I have seen historically over the past years. When the, when, they get out of their velvet, the crops start drying up, so it's not as lush, they're not as easy to eat, and there, there's, there's a little bit of a change in their pattern. Yeah, but the, the big change this year, especially where I hunt, and I'm sure it could, it could probably relate a little bit in Michigan on, on your farms as well, we had a ton of rain this summer. The vegetation in the timber is still going to be green for a while, so they have plenty to eat in the timber huge acorn crops this year they don't need the egg fields they don't need the food plots and there's probably some kind of running water in your throughout your prop your properties so when you think about it these deer don't need don't need to go and expose themselves out out in the fields yeah it's an easy meal but you know we we've kind of discussed this in in past episodes and um even you know, just between me and you that these, these big mature bucks, they, they, they live a different lifestyle than these younger bucks and these does. They, they, they will sit down and, and stay hidden for as long as needed. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to some of the things you said there. And I thought about the same thing. Um, I, I do believe that eventually there, there will be some, an older deer or two that will move into a couple of these areas. It just has to be, there always has been, yeah. um, and I think if anything else, the best thing I have going for me on these spots is my stubborn patience. And I have to maintain mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to, part of me says, ah, there's not a big deer and they're just going there and shoot some does or just have some fun with it. Um, the other side of me says, be strong, stick with your plan, which is don't mess around in those areas until you've got a really good chance to shoot one. And I think that, you know, that that's what I have to do. And what I have to do is let these properties become a sanctuary so that all the other people hunting around me, they're going to keep on hunting. I know they will. And they're going to push deer from wherever they are right now to these couple spots where the deer find, Oh, that, Hey, there isn't anyone in there. Oh, and Hey, there's a bunch of great food. And Oh, by the way, great lush bedding cover where I can be safe and secure. And there's no yahoos walking around. Um, right. And that's, I think that's, what's going to happen. They'll eventually get pushed. My properties will be I'm a sanctuary. Play, I'm going to play devil's advocate a bit here. Okay. All right. So your plan is to not create is to not create a whole bunch of um, I get you know unwanted pressure on your property, right? You've also decided not to shoot does, right? Well, I just want to make one addendum to that. Does right now. I will be shooting does. Yeah, does does right. right now. Does right now. Yes. So my question to you is why are you even hunting that that 
those properties if you know right now you're not going to shoot a doe and you know that your trail cameras – I know you went in this first time and then went and checked the cards. Kind of, so you, you kind of didn't know what was out there. So are you going to continue to hunt these properties or are you going to just check your uh, trail cameras and then move in when the bucks do show up? I am not going to be hunting these properties. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have my cameras running. I might go in there in a week or two when it's rainy to check ca- trail cameras once. Otherwise, I'm going to be staying completely off this until the end of October once I get a cold front or something. And uh, unless, you know, I check trail cameras here in a week or two and all of a sudden there's a big boy rolling around during daylight, that might change my plans. But right. otherwise, I'm going to spend the rest of my time the next couple, two, three weeks on a couple other private land parcels that I have permission on that I just you know, don't really focus on bucks there. There's just not a good chance at a mature deer there. I'm going to focus on hunting does on some of those farms and I'm going to focus on exploring some public land and trying some new things out on some public spots. Um, otherwise I'm going to stay off of these farms and try to make them a sanctuary until late October. Once we'll start getting a little bit of that pre-rut activity, at least that, you know, that's my plan for right now. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan. Uh, so I've got your blessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> So there, there you have it. That's uh, that's what's going on here. Um, we spent a whole lot of time here talking about our our hunts more than I expected, but I think it's good. We got some stuff out there, and hopefully, you know, all you guys listening maybe learned a thing or two from you know what you and I have gone through here recently. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with what we are actually the the topic of this today is 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 the weather. This cold front that just re, that just pushed through has got the does and the young bucks on their feet. And you saw it. I saw it. Um, Typically, you know, last year was a cool October as well. But the year before that was a warm October. And I just remember setting up tree stands, dripping sweat and not seeing anything. So weather has a lot to do with deer movement. Oh, yeah. I I personally, in my how I hunt and, and what I pay attention to, there's nothing more important to me than weather. I obsess over, like I found there's nothing that really seems to influence deer movement other than maybe the rut, um, that influences deer behavior like weather. And so, I mean, I'm checking weather every single day. I'm obsessing over with a 10 day forecast and what's happening. And I'm planning my hunts around that. Um, and a big, big part of that is cold fronts. And so maybe I thought we'd start with cold fronts since that's what a lot of people have experienced over the past week or so across most of the whitetail, uh, country, big cold fronts moving through. And that, I think, you know, in a lot of cases, it has resulted in a lot of big deer hitting the ground. Um, so let me give you my, my take on coal fronts, Dan, and then I want to see if that's in line with what you've seen, what you believe, um, and we'll kind of go from there. And, and then we'll talk about a little bit about um, pressure, pressure systems coming through. We'll talk a little bit about warm weather and then precipitation, rain and snow, and then wind. Um, does that sound like a good plan to finish off the back half of the show? Yep, let's do it. Awesome. So cold fronts. Cold fronts are my number one hunting, I don't even know what they are. I love cold fronts is what I'm trying to say. Um, I am really, really an advocate of planning my hunts of when I want to go into my best areas around those cold fronts hitting. Um, There doesn't seem to be anything else I've seen that will get a mature buck moving more during daylight than a cold front passing through. Um, You know, what I'm seeing is... Typically, the, the evening before a front hits and then the day or two after a big cold front hits really gets deer moving earlier and moving 
continuing moving later into the mornings during that cold weather, right? When you've got warm weather, they're slowing down. They don't want to exert themselves when it's hot out. But when that cold weather hits, it's really about the change in my opinion. But when there's a change negatively in temperature, it triggers the feeding mechanism in deer, right? They need to get more food in their bodies to warm themselves up and keep that energy going. And just in general, they feel more, they feel more comfortable. You know, they've got that heavy winter coat on by this time of year. So when the temperatures drop, all of a sudden, they're much more willing to walk around and explore and uh, enjoy themselves during daylight when it's comfortable to do so. So again, during October, especially, I mean, in November, I'm hunting regardless, you know, during that rutting period, I'm going to be out there. Um, Cold fronts really help. And when a cold front hits during the rut, I'm, you know, like gung-ho excited about it. But during October, lots of times I won't be hunting. Um, at least not hunting my better areas unless there's a cold front hitting or precipitation or something happening that's going to trigger additional movement other than just your typical morning and evening movement. Um, you know, when I see that cold front hitting, I'm going to say, okay, this is happening. What, you know, where is my best chance at a deer moving? Because I think I've got a, you know, a significant, significantly higher percentage chance of success when that front is coming through. Um, and I guess one other thing I want to emphasize is that it's not always just whatever the actual temperature is. It's the change in temperature that seems to matter the most, in my opinion, and from what I've heard from others. Um, so, you know, if you're hunting in Georgia and it's in the 80s right now and next week it's going to be 68, that's, you know, let's say that's a 12 degree temperature drop. That's pretty significant. That could trigger increased movement, even though right now, if it was 68 degrees here in Michigan, I wouldn't want to hunt at all. Um, but since it went from 80 to 68 where you're at, that's, that could trigger some additional movement. Um, meanwhile here, you know, it's in the, right now it's in the fifties, which was pretty cool compared to the seventies that we had last week. But right now, once we fall into this consistent 57, 58 degree temperatures for four or five, six days, all of a sudden it's not such a big deal anymore. Now I want to see another 10 degree drop before I'm going to get that increased movement again. So for me, it's about that change in temperature, um, kind of the threshold, I don't, there's obviously no rule about this, but the threshold that I've personally seen to have seen had the biggest increase or increase in movement seems to be somewhere around 10 degrees of a change in temperature of a decrease in temperature. I would consider a significant enough front to, to want to hunt and to focus on. Um, but I don't know. I think those are my high level thoughts on cold fronts. Um, like we've talked about, had a big one come through this past weekend and I saw a ton of deer and they're moving early. I mean, I was getting out there. I was trying to get out there really early cause I knew they'd be moving. And I was, there were deer on their feet feeding at three 30 in the afternoon. And it's not get, it's not getting dark here till seven 45, at night. Um, yeah. so these deer were out there four hours before daylight. Um, and again, I didn't see any mature bucks, but, um, groups of younger bachelor groups and tons of does moving three, four hours before dark. Um, and then last year at the same time, a cold front hit, and I had encounters with four different mature bucks in five hunts last year between October 1st and October 7th during a cold front that hit. So last year, the cold fronts really, really paid off for me. This year, I thought they wouldn't. I just didn't have the big bucks to, to make it happen, I don't think. But for me, it's, it's a huge thing. And throughout the year, especially as we get into later October, man, they can really trigger some exciting stuff. But that's, uh, that's my rant on cold fronts. What about you, Dan? Well, for the most part, I, I agree 100%. Um, now, I'm not going to be, no matter what kind of cold front comes the first week and in, uh, into October, I'm probably not going to be jumping into some of the best stands. Um, 
just because and and me checking my trail cameras this weekend uh, kind of emphasized that I this time of year for me is to get out get my gear working my running guns you know my tearing down and setting up good um, I, I want to shoot a, uh, a doe um, but if a buck comes along good but I'm not going to go into into my best spots now as far as cold fronts are concerned um, I don't know early season they're not they don't play in my opinion as big of a part as time of year does but when I went and checked all my trail cameras this year I had a couple over scrapes I had a couple over some fence crossings um, some pinch points and um, every mature buck was on uh, a nocturnal schedule still so getting close you know probably an hour outside of shooting light but uh, but getting closer to that and I think time of year has uh, a lot to do with it but anything can happen especially if there's in my opinion tons of precipitation like with this wind that we had this weekend um i think they're they they still were bedding down uh, a lot yeah it got some of them on their feet but the big the bigger more mature bucks i just don't think anything can really influence them off their feet in other than maybe a ton of precipitation um and typically that's that's mixed with cold fronts you know when a cold front hits typically there's snow or there's rain or, there, or there's something that happens but i don't know i'm i'm not throwing all my eggs in one basket unless my trail camera is showing that you know the previous couple days even if it's a nocturnal you know if there's a, if there's a cold front so big that comes through that it's going to say i need to be in this location at this time so that when he comes through he's going to be there and and right now i just don't think a cold front can influence that fair enough fair enough. i think i'm i think we're mostly on the same page i just yeah. I, I still feel i mean i i have seen that the first couple hunts like before you get that october lull type behavior which is you know not necessarily a thing, but that's maybe yeah. hunter induced. But before yeah. there's that pressure of other hunters, plus all the shifts and food sources and leaf cover and all the different things that happen the first, you know, two to three weeks of October, I still feel like those first couple days of October, if a cold front coincides with that, it can get the big deer on their feet. And it's of course not, it's not going to be as good as a cold front pushing through at the end of October when the right. time of year is already in your favor. Um, but for me, it's always been a thing like you've got a couple chances. You can kind of catch a possible opportunity for an early season home run um, if those things coincide. But I think something you said had a big impact on uh, this weekend, which was wind. Um, but on the other hand, another thing you mentioned which helped the situation was precipitation. Um, so what do you think? I kind of want to talk about that first. Let's talk about precipitation, and then we can talk a little bit about wind. Um, when it comes to precip, like you said, I think that's a huge trigger for deer activity too. Um, I have seen incredible deer movement during rain and snow. And honestly, if there is, if there's rain in the forecast, I don't care how strong it's going to be. I'm going to be in the, I'm going to be in the woods. Um, assuming some of the other factors are, you know, correct. I really believe that as long as it's not an absolute torrential downpour, thunderstorm, tornado, um, it will get more deer, especially more mature bucks on their feet on a percentage basis than almost anything else. Um, especially it's, 
it's when that rain starts slowing down. A light drizzle for me is beautiful. I mean, that's awesome. But even if it's a, a strong downpour or a lot of rain, I'll still go out in there and sit it out because as soon as that front passes through, as soon as the rain starts to die down a little bit, those deer will get moving a lot. And I want to make sure I'm out there to, to take advantage of that. So when it comes to rain, I, I love hunting during rain. I've seen a ton of big deer during the rain. Um, and a lot of times my buddies aren't hunting. Nah, it's raining. I don't want to be out there. It's too too much rain. Yeah, they're, they're going to be bedded down. I go out anyways, and I'm seeing big deer. So I hunt rain. And I want to touch on one other thing. But first, I want to understand your thoughts on it. Sounds like you're pro-rain. But tell me about how you hunt rain, if you hunt rain. And then I want to talk about you know a couple things that people need to keep in mind when hunting, especially bow hunting during the rain, because I think there are some issues and some challenges of that that need to be addressed. Right. As far as hunting in the rain is concerned, I mean, if I am looking at the radar and there's a big storm coming through, I'm not going to sit through that rain all day long. I'm just not going to do it. I mean, it. I don't think that these deer especially this time of year, maybe closer towards the uh, end of the year or end of the October, into the rut. Um, as far as rain, yeah, they're going to stand up and probably adjust their bed throughout the day, but they're not going to be out roaming around, you know, this time of year when it's raining outside. They're going to sit there and they're going to take it and uh, they may adjust a couple beds, you know, stand up, walk a couple, you know, 20 feet, sit down and bed down again. If they're in the right spot, they're in the right spot. But what I like to do is wait until maybe 30 minutes before that. I look at the radar 30 minutes before the storm passes. Then I get in the tree. That way I don't have to, um, you know, that way I don't have to do any type of, uh, uh, get, get there and get soaking wet. Now what I've seen typically is the deer start moving after the rain start stops they go out they you know they're they're uh freshening up any scrapes they have um going around doing you know any any community scrapes or any scrapes that they have in particular but my my experience is through the end at towards the end of the storm i think some of it may have to do with pressure i'm not an i'm not going to say i'm an expert on anything but um, the, the pressure kind of um, changes a little bit towards the end of a storm and the rain stops. It's still wet out there, maybe drizzling, but towards the end is when then I'll hop back in the tree uh, after the front is in the middle of the front passing and while it's passed. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today 
or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Okay. So it sounds like you just don't like uh, you don't like getting your clothes all wet? That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. That's fair. That's fair. I, you know, as you, as you talked about that, you got me thinking, there might be some, maybe, I, I have no idea, this is purely just a random idea that popped in my head, but I have seen here in Michigan that actually during the rain, they're moving a lot. Yeah. Um, and a big proponent of this hunting during this kind of foul weather, someone who's influenced a lot of my hunting, um, two guys, John and Chris Eberhardt, big-time hunters here in Michigan, right? They've written a number of really great books, written a ton of magazine articles, and they really harp on this whole thing, hunt during the rain. And they've always said that this is, in particular, so effective in super high-pressure areas like Michigan because mm-hmm. – their belief is that these bucks start to associate rain conditions with a lack of hunters. They feel more comfortable moving during those types of situations because they rarely have encounters with humans at that time. And so they said that that's one of the times that any time of day, even or any time of year, even early season, that kind of thing will get a buck on its feet earlier than usual during daylight. Um, and, I have definitely, now I haven't seen that in some of the low pressure states I've seen, but here in Michigan, I mean, I have had numerous encounters with old deer in strong rain during the early season even. I mean, I saw six shooter and leaner last year in the first week of October. This is a four and a half and a five and a half year old deer during borderline torrential rain moving during the day an hour or two before dark. Um, so I think maybe this is something that depends on where you're at. Maybe in some states where there's extreme pressure these deer have learned that this is one of those safer times to move while in other areas where they're not as concerned maybe they're they're i'll wait it out i don't know just a thought um but something to keep in mind right right and as, as far as cold fronts are concerned all and you know we're all on facebook and twitter and all the social media and we see the pictures online and whatnot of all these people killing these early season uh bucks these big early season mature deer now, what you need to ask yourself is, what's the pressure pressure situation like that on on some of these properties? Do they have other hunters, or is this a guy who has complete you know control of his property? Is he does he live close to his property? For me, I can't check my trail cameras on a daily basis. I can't sit there and glass my properties from a distance. I have to do my work on the weekends, 
And I think, I think that goes, you know, that, that, that part of it's underestimated or un, underappreciated because if you're close to your deer and a cold front moves through on a very low pressure property, that deer is probably hitting the, even before the cold front, that, that uh, deer is probably hitting the food source before dark anyway. And when a cold front comes through, he's, in, he's there with plenty of time. So I, I, think, I think that has a lot more to do with killing a big buck is early season, um, almost more than a, a cold front is concerned. Yeah, the cold front helps, but very low pressure helps more, I think. Yeah, I think uh, that's, I mean, that's the biggest trump card of, of, of all. Right. It's you got to have that low pressure and then all these other factors can come in to give you that additional um, bump in the right direction. So and when we mean when we talk about low pressure, I know we're talking about weather. We're not talking about weather. We're talking about other hunters, other farmers, a person who has a piece of property that no one is touching. Yes. Very good. uh, I just don't want to get anybody confused. Yeah. Speaking, though, of pressure related to weather i just want to i'm not a big guy that focuses on the barometer Um, i want to start paying attention to that more i'm trying to pay attention to that more but historically i haven't done a good job of paying attention to when the barometers fall rising or falling and how that affects what i see and anything like that Um, but just to make a point here we did talk about this topic with terry drury on episode number 21 i believe and he gave us some great details on that and gave us perspective on how the barometer and, and rising and falling pressure impacts deer movement so i'd encourage you all of you if you haven't listened to that one yet check it out um i will say i did take a couple notes on that and terry drury did say that movement in his opinion is best on a rising barometer on high pressure after low front has pushed through so low pressure system is pushed through and now the barometer is rising again towards a high pressure system and he said that is the best movement so that would have been this weekend right I'm going to sound like an idiot, so I'm just not even going to try to explain it. I don't know. I think right when a, when a cold front comes through, that's a low-pressure system. I, I, you know, I'm not even going to say it because I, yeah. I don't have my cards right on this one. Um, let's, just, let's just say we do know what we're talking about. <laughs> I think that's what it means, and if I'm wrong, I'm sure 20 people will tell me. But um, we also had, I think it was a waxing, or a, I don't know. We had the right moon because as the sun was going down, the moon was coming up. So yes. the cold front mixed with the right moon phase, if you believe in these things, uh, the, the pressure and the moon and the cold temperatures all kind of added up for this, first, for this first season. So if you're, if you're listening and I got it wrong, then please leave a comment and let me know so I don't make the same mistake again. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> don't judge us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think, I think you're right too. On the moon thing, I do know that the theory is that if the moon is rising during daylight hours as during that typical feeding time of the late evening, that is going to supposedly trigger a little bit more daylight activity or the same thing. If the moon is still setting late in the morning, so if it's daylight, but you still see the moon still, still setting at that time, that could trigger some additional daylight movement too. Um, I know that I've read some stuff from one of our previous guests, Dan Infault on that topic. And I just looked at my notes again. That's the same thing that Terry Drury said. Um, and I noticed that this weekend too. I saw that and thought, hey, that might be a little bit behind what I'm seeing here too. So there's there's so many different factors that all kind of go into what triggers deer movement and increased deer movement. It's, it's an interesting puzzle to piece together. Um, but 
we are running low on time here. And so I want to really quickly mention a couple things about hunting during the rain. So we talked about the fact that we think that it definitely does increase deer movement, possibly during the rain, or at least for sure after the rain. Um, if you're going to hunt in the rain, so during the rain, it's a light drizzle, you're out there hunting. Um, there's a few things to consider because there is the inherent challenge and the risk of bow hunting during the rain is that that rain can wash away the blood trail. And so that is a really serious thing you need to consider and plan around because that's obviously a major issue. The, one of the most important things is to make sure you recover that deer if you shoot it. So if you're going to hunt in the rain, I recommend a couple things. And I've written a couple articles on this um, that I can link to with more details, but very quickly, I would recommend, number one, that you only take the very, very most sure thing, slam dunk shots that you are comfortable with. Do not take anything um, remotely outside of your comfort range. You want to make sure you put the absolute 100% best shot on that deer that will bring him down or her down as quickly as possible. Of course, you want to do that all the time, but even more so now. I'm not, you know, my comfortable range, most hunts is, is 40 yards, maybe even a little past 40 yards with my bow. Um, I'm pretty comfortable at the 50 now, actually. Um, but during the rain, I might not shoot anything past 20. I want an absolute perfect slam dunk shot if I'm going to hunt with any kind of precipitation because I'm counting on the fact I'm not going to get away with a long blood trail. Um, you also need to consider then when you're going to take up that blood trail. And there's two theories on this. You can either say you want to take up the blood trail right away because you want to start tracking that deer while there's still blood on the ground. Some people do that. Um, I tend to lean the other way where I'll wait, I'd rather wait a little longer and risk possibly losing some of that blood trail, but feeling much more comfortable that I didn't push that deer. Um, if I put a great double long shot on a deer, I'm pretty confident he's going to be down within you know 100 yards or so if I did everything right. And if I am able to get that shot, get the shot I want, be very, pay attention to where I last saw that deer, track him as close as I possibly can. And if I leave him lay for a long time and don't push him, I'm pretty confident I'll be able to recover that deer if by no other reason than the fact that I can, if all else fails, I can do a grid search of a large area around where I last saw him. And if I didn't push him, he should be there. So again, a couple things to keep in mind. Um, I also, having a tracking dog, if you're going to hunt in the rain, if you know someone that can help you track with a dog, I've been told that dogs can actually track a deer even better when it's rained. Um, so that's another thing to consider. And I've got, luckily, a friend of mine um, has a tracking dog, so I have that in my back pocket too. So you need to think about these things. Um, you do not want to take it lightly when you're hunting in the rain. If you're going to shoot a deer, of course, you have to recover that deer. So you really need to be smart about what you're doing. Don't have any funny business. Um, you want to make sure you're doing things the right way, and recovering that deer is of the utmost importance. So just keep that in mind if you're going to do it. Um, but if you can do it and you can do it properly and you're careful about it, there's a great chance of encountering um, the kind of deer you want to shoot, in my opinion. So that's my uh, my two cents on bow hunting in the rain. Well, let me just take some notes here. No funny business. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the best wisdom I can share today. No funny business in the woods with Mark Kenyon. <laughs> All right. Um, let's. I think make most sure, of make sure you clear out your peep sight too. I've had I've had an instance where I uh, drew back and there was a water droplet in my in my peep sight. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, and then also, you know, when it comes to rain, uh, this is just kind of obvious, but make sure you have good rain gear, bring a tree umbrella, do all those things to make sure you can be comfortable. Excuse me. Um, 
like I said, I like to I like to hunt through rain, so I'll sit out there through a downpour because I'm excited to see what happens once it slows down. So I've sat through some hairy stuff. Like for example, last night, um, a couple big storms passed through, and for the first time ever, I actually felt unsafe up in a tree, and I actually wanted to get down, but I, it was so hairy that I was worried I wouldn't be able to get safely down the tree. Um, it was. It was the worst situation I've been in a tree where the storm pushed through and it just came out of nowhere. I mean, I knew there were some dark clouds coming through, but it came on me fast. It went from nothing to like torrential downpour. And I don't know what the actual mileage was, but I would guess 60 plus mile per hour gusts of wind. I mean, this tree was really rolling and I actually had a tree branch start cracking above me. I literally had my arms wrapped around the tree trunk and I was holding on to it to a to a tree step screwed in just like please lord let this not be the end not my last hunt. <laughs> That's funny. It was a it, it was interesting. So just make sure you're prepared for that I guess I'd say. Um speaking of heavy winds, I don't know what your thoughts are on this Dan, but with wind I think uh, most people tend to agree that really heavy winds, like you had mentioned a little bit earlier, do tend to keep deer down a little bit. They don't seem as comfortable moving in really, really windy conditions. Um, For me, the number that I've always kind of looked at is if there's like consistent wind over maybe 15 miles per hour, I'm going to expect less activity. Um, There's no no set rule there, but that seems to be the magic number that I'm usually saying. "Eh, If it's like in the high teens or 20s, I'm not excited too excited about what i'm gonna see tonight but if it's you know below that i'm okay with it what are your thoughts i think yeah um but where i hunt there's a lot of rolling there's hills there's draws and there's there's parts that aren't affected by the wind near as much yeah the wind will probably uh, swirl and do some pretty freaky things but um for example the place that i was hunting on friday night it was really windy uh, and it was loud in the timber, which number one helped me do my setup better. I mean, I, I could, I could barely hear myself, let alone any, any mistakes that I got. But once I got up in the tree, it really wasn't too bad because the, the, I had the timber blocking a majority cause there's still a ton of leaves on the trees and it was blocking the direct wind. And as far as I was kind of on the backside of a hill so everything kind of blew off the direct, I don't know, the lee word or lay word or whatever. The wind hit that opposite side of the hill and kind of pushed it straight up. So the area that I was at was didn't have a, a ton of wind. Yeah, there was still a lot of wind, but not, you know, as much as what you would see, you know, if you look down the tree line and you're seeing these, you know, branches whipping around, I wasn't in that in that. So Yeah, I think um make a really good point too that if you can find those areas that's somewhat not affected by the wind as much you can see some increased movement in those spots too i know um i was interviewing bernie berenger recently for another project and he had mentioned the same thing um so that's something to keep in mind and another disclaimer when it comes to wind is that also from what i understand and what i've heard wind speed also is, is relative or how deer react to wind is relative. So in an area like where I'm hunting here in Michigan, where we're not necessarily getting so much rain, you know, a 15 to 20 mile per hour wind might be enough to slow down deer movement some, but in a wide open flat area, maybe like uh, somewhere in Kansas where they're getting high winds consistently much more often, those deer become used to it and they're going to move a lot more in 20, 25 mile an hour wind. Cause that's just what their normal life is like. Um, 
So I've heard that a number of times. So that's something I'm pretty confident in saying that um, keep that in mind that it's relative to your area. And um, when wind is higher than what's normal, significantly higher, that's when you might see that um, decrease in deer movement. But it's certainly not a rule. And um, if other factors are lined up right, you know, there's still a chance for success. I mean, this past weekend, I was hunting sometimes where the wind was well over 15 miles an hour, and I was still seeing a lot of deer. So it's um, it's something to keep in mind. It's not, uh, it's not the downfall of hunting, but it's something that sometimes might put a little bit of a damper on things. Right, right. So I don't know. We've talked a lot about a lot of different things relating to weather. I think one other thing I suppose we haven't talked about is snow. I love snow. If there's snow coming down, especially fresh snow, it seems to really get the deer moving, especially when they're, we're talking late season, when yeah. deer need to get down to find the food source. Um, super cold weather and snow can be a real dynamite key to, to get deer on their feet a little earlier those evenings in late December and early January. Um, I'm assuming, have you seen the same thing, Dan? Yeah. I, I, if you can find a good quality food source or have a good food plot, in late December, when that temperature just drops out, and it's one of those one of those days where no matter how much clothing you're wearing, that you're cold in ten minutes. And those are the the good thing about it is those are typically you could set your clock to some to the deer movement, and you go in, you set in your stand 15, 20 minutes, and deer are already coming by you. But if you can find a good food plot when it's like negative, like in my area, uh, negative 25, you know, I think this, this winter it got even way colder than that. And I think it was like negative 20. And I had, um, I had a, a big buck on trail camera coming into a food source on a pretty consistent basis right at, um, right at last light. So I, I went in the timber. There, I mean, we had so much snow, I could follow the trails that these deer were walking and, set up right on there. Doe would come by, young buck, doe would come by. And then, you know, the big boys were always, were always the last ones to come to the food source. And if you could, if you could find that, then you have a really good chance of, uh, of getting uh, a big mature deer. Yeah. Those are just dynamite conditions. And, you know, again, weather, like you said, plays such a big part into success during the late season. Um, and it's better. It's almost better than early season hunting for the pure fact that you have an isolated isolated food source all the rest of the food in the timber has typically been picked over the crops are out and the deer start grouping up and they go to the one food source until it's gone and then they go find the next one yeah i think it's those the two things you need it can be absolutely one of the absolute best time of year if you've got that that dynamite food source and if you've got a low pressure if that area hasn't been hammered hard with hunting pressure Right. And that can, uh, man, that can be good. I mean, that's what happened last year for me when I killed six shooter. It, uh, had been a big mega cold front hit, a bunch of snow. And, um, just like the day after the front passed through. So it'd been like a blizzard for two days. The first day after that blizzard, the winds died down a little bit. It was deathly cold and there was, you know, like six or seven inches of fresh snow. And those deer were on the food hard early and the big boy was on his feet. So, but you know, another interesting thing is they can also move during the front when it comes to snow too. I mean, um, my hunt last year, December 6th, I think it was when I took a shot at that buck I called Glenn in Ohio. Um, that was during an absolute blizzard. I mean, I'm talking, you could hardly see it was snowing so hard. 
nearly horizontal. The snow was blowing because the winds were so strong. And um, he was on his feet two hours before dark. So, you know, there's no rules. But um, I think one thing, if anything we can say from this discussion, it's that weather is a huge, huge, huge influence on deer movement. And you need to be paying attention to that and making sure to capitalize it capitalize on it whenever you can yeah and for me i even though i'm not hunting i am it's almost like i train myself self like i'm studying for a test i am on weather.com all the time or you know any place that tells the weather the wind speed and the wind direction and i'm looking at my my uh, aerial maps and i'm saying okay this this wind direction um and this temperature or whatever, I'm going to be hunting in this stand. Or if it's uh, this wind direction and this temperature, I'm going to be hunting this stand. Or, hey, I better stay out of here because there's a chance that the wind does this or if it's going to rotate. And, and there's, a, there's a ton of different things. But, you know, use your, use your tools, your, your weather.com and your aerial maps. And, I don't know, just, just be ob- as observant as possible. Yeah, so true. Um, there's a, a tool I've been using this year that helps you take those observation, take, take real-time observation data and trial cameras and match it up to the conditions to start seeing how they correlate. Um, it's called HuntSoft, HuntSoft.com. And what you can do is you can log your sightings or log your trail cameras, and then it will take, it will pull the historical weather data and conditions. It'll give you the moon phase, the temperature, wind speed, all that kind of stuff. And then you can start seeing, okay, so I saw this deer here and even if this was a year or two ago, I'm able to look at this stuff and I can say, okay, well, interesting. I had a south wind. Um, the temperature had dropped 10 degrees over the past 24 hours and, you know, the barometer was rising. Ah, that makes sense. So, you know, some people do this with a journal. I've done a mediocre job of keeping a physical written journal, um, but people can do this with that too. But it's nice to be able to take your sightings, trail camera photos or whatever, and see what those conditions were then at that period of time so that you can then apply it to, like you said, in the future, thinking about, okay, I know that in the past deer moved past this stand with a south wind and this condition. Maybe right. this will happen again, or this is something to consider when I'm planning out what to do here in the future. Right. So, right. well, that is, uh, I think we covered a lot there. Um, I even got to go on a couple of rants, so I'd call this a pretty good day. Yeah. Do you feel better after it? I feel a little better. Um, I probably could have kept going, but I'm feeling a little better. We don't want to. We don't want to ruffle any feathers, Mark. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a feather ruffler, but I'll keep it cool. <laughs> well, what do you think, man? Is there anything else we should touch on here today? No, I think we're good to go. Just, you know, remember, you know, no funny business. <laughs> that is it. The final parting <laughs> The final parting thought today is no funny business. No funny and, business. And with that, we will wrap things up. But before we shut it down, I did want to share a pretty exciting announcement. For those that didn't see on the website earlier this week, we've just launched something called the Rules of the Rut 2.0. And in just a few weeks now, we're all going to be turning our attention to that most exciting time of year, the rut. And that's what this new set of products is focused on. Included in the Rules of the Rut 2.0 is a set of two ebooks and three brand new exclusive podcasts with nearly three hours of original content. Now, some of you may have seen the original Rules of the Rut ebook that we launched last year. That featured 19 chapters of really great rut hunting insight provided by some incredible whitetail minds like Chris Eberhardt, Don Higgins, and some of our previous guests on the podcast like Jeff Sturgis and Craig Doherty and many more. 
Now with the Rules of the Rut 2.0, you'll get that original book plus a brand new 20 chapter ebook featuring all new content from another great slew of contributors like Scott Bestel from Field Stream, uh, Bernie Berenger and Dan Infault, who we both, both heard from on the podcast. And then in addition to that, you'll get the Rules of the Rut 2.0 podcast series, which is a three-part podcast series featuring 15 really incredible guests talking about all aspects of the rut, um, rutting behavior, hunting the rut, um, all sorts of different tactics and strategies. It's it's honestly the most comprehensive resource on the rut that I've ever seen, and I'm just absolutely thrilled to be sharing this with you guys. So to pick up a copy of the Rules of the Rut 2.0 package, you can go to wiredhunt.com and look for the Rules of the Rut 2.0 link in our top menu bar, or you can visit wiredhunt.com slash episode 26 today to click the link there in our show notes, and we'll have all that available for you right there. So that all said, back to our usual closing remarks. If you've been enjoying the podcast, you know as we always ask, we would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. That's a huge help, so thank you in advance. Also, we'd like to thank our partners who help make this show possible. So big thanks to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Huntsoft, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. Finally, be sure to visit wiredtohunt.com slash episode 26 to view the show notes and links from today's episode. And check out Dan's blog, thenefingerchronicles.com, for more on how his opening week hunts went as well. That all said, thank you all so much for being here with us today. I hope you've been able to get out hunting and that luck has been on your side. But if not, I wish you good luck soon. Enjoy these early days of the hunting season and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.